Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. One of the greatest privileges and joys that I have as a pastor uh, is being able to pray with people uh, and pray for the different requests that they have in all kinds of different seasons of life. And, and one of the reasons that I love to pray with people and pray for people is based on something that the disciple of Jesus named Peter uh, wrote out in one of his letters. Um, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, look what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then look at this, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. If you and I have ever prayed together, the chances are pretty high that somewhere in that prayer together, I, I actually prayed or tried to pray in accordance with Peter's invitation here. I, I, I may have even articulated part of what he writes here in my prayer with you, in, in that fact on, on casting our cares on the Lord and casting our anxieties on the Lord because the Lord cares for you. And I, I use that and I go back to that and I pray those words when we pray together so many times. And what is such a rich and such a meaningful truth for us to remember and to consider today uh, as we think about not only how we can pray to God as we move deeper and deeper into and through this new year, but, but also as we think about how others in the faith have come to God and prayed in ancient days, ancient prayers, ancient history, how they've cast their cares on God, all because God cares for them. See, when we pray to God, we certainly want to approach God uh, with this word right here, humble, humility. We want to humble ourselves before God, as Peter instructs in the beginning there in that verse 6. But but then we, we've got to remember something. We've got an invitation by God to go all in, to really just launch into prayers and cast all of our anxieties, not hold back, but just throw everything we have, everything that's on our heart, everything that's on our mind, everything that's going on in our lives, we can put it right into the lap of God, right at the feet of God. Why? It's because of this right here, because he cares for you and he cares for me. He cares for each person. And that, that reality is in part why the Old Testament character known as Abraham came before the Lord and he humbled himself, but he didn't hold back either. He, he cast everything that is on his heart, everything that's on his mind, all those requests that we're going to look at this morning right into the lap of the Lord. We, we first meet Abraham 
uh, in the very first book of the Bible known as Genesis. And today we want to look at one of Abraham's ancient and interesting prayer. This prayer that Abraham prays to the Lord. It's found over in Genesis chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, turn with me over to Genesis 18. While you're finding Genesis 18, I'll let you know that the bulk of my message today comes from the writing, comes from the research uh, of a brilliant Old Testament scholar named Dr. Walter Brueggemann and his book called Great Prayers of the Old Testament. Much of the words I'm using today are direct quotes. They're straight from him, and I want to give him credit. Uh, and, and one of these great prayers of the Old Testament is offered by this man named Abraham. Uh, Abraham's one of the fathers in our faith. And we oftentimes uh, mention his name along with the description of God being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, he's also known as Abram, as we'll read a little bit here in a moment. Abram, Abraham, he's got a long and rich history in the story of our faith. And yet Abraham, he kind of just shows up in the Bible in an abrupt kind of way. So Abraham's lineage it's mentioned as being traced back to a man named Shem, S-H-E-M, Shem. Now, Shem uh, was a son of another man in the Bible named Noah. Perhaps you've heard of him, built the big ark. Uh, and in his uh, connection, Abraham's connection uh, for the very first time to Shem and then to Noah is mentioned in Genesis chapter 11. But we really get to meet and we really get to start knowing who Abram is for the first time in this next chapter, in Genesis chapter 12. So keep a finger in Genesis 18, flip back just a couple of pages, a couple of chapters to Genesis chapter 12. In fact, Abraham is the first in his family and the first in Israel to be directly addressed by God in these first three verses here of Genesis chapter 12, which say, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So think about it. Without any kind of explanation, Abram, Abraham is addressed by God. He's summoned by God out of what seems to be like, like just nowhere. And all of a sudden God tells him, go, go. And Abram responds immediately. I mean, he, he, he heads to this new place, this new land that, that he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know where he's going yet. He's never been to this place before. And as God told Abraham, part of his new role is going to be a bearer of divine blessing and is about to become a conduit, so to speak, of the life-giving goodness of God that's going to be mediated and made available to the world, and it's going to come through and from his life. God's going to give it the blessing to Abram, and it's going to be 
um, ble- he's going to be a blessing everywhere he goes. And, and so wherever Abraham's going to go, wherever God's going to lead him, the chance for life, the chance for blessing from God is demonstrably on offer to all, to all people. And what's so amazing to me is that without, without any kind of discussion, without any explanation, without any expression of curiosity, Abraham just seems to say, okay, onward, here we go. And he obeys God and his divine summons. And he heads out as the beginning of verse 4 says, look at Genesis 12, 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. It's important to know here that Abram, he he didn't go out alone. He wasn't flying solo on this mission. It goes on to say in the the rest of verse 4 and verse 5 that there was this total uprooting and packing up of his family and his belongings. Now, Abram and his wife Sarah didn't have any children at this point. That was to come. That was part of the blessing and promise God would give to Abram and Sarah. But, but other family members that he was related to that were with him, that were living in, under his care. Notice in, in verses 4 and 5 that two different times one individual is mentioned. It's a, it's a guy named Lot. It was his nephew. Look what it says in verses 4 and 5. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah, his wife. Here it is again. And Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. I've mentioned this to you before, but anytime you see something repeated in the Bible, it's like a flashing red light or God winking at us going, pay attention to this. So we see right here, Lot went with Abram and his wife, Sarah. And right here, and Lot, his brother's son, went with him. It's repeated. Lot's name is mentioned twice. So let's hold on to that as we're moving toward this prayer that we're going to look at that Abram prays because Lot plays an important role in why Abraham is, play, is praying. So if you were to continue reading uh, Abraham's story, you would see that not only is Abram pretty well established, he is wealthy, he, God's blessed his portfolio financially with things like land and with livestock possessions, but also we see Abraham is is a man of great character. He takes care of his family, those who are related to him, his kinfolk, like his nephew Lot. If you were to keep reading here in Genesis 13, you would see a gracious, a hospitable interaction between Abraham and Lot when their, their livestock, their flocks, their, their herds of these two individual men, when, when they became so plentiful, we see them actually having a dispute over who could water and graze their herds in which places. There were just so many of them. 
And we see Abraham actually approach this, this issue, this matter, with great peace, with great generosity, by allowing his nephew Lot, hey, pick whichever area you want, and I'll go in the opposite direction. Lot gets first pick. He can choose the best part of the land that's before them. And look how kind and how generous Abraham is. Look at Genesis chapter 13. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Look what it says here. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for, for we're kinsmen, we're family. Look at verse 9. Abram says, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If, if you take the left hand then I'll go to the right. Or, he says, if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. A little conflict resolution here by Abraham. If you keep reading, you would see that Lot chose to go to the left-hand side. And Abraham then went to the right-hand side, and he would settle in the land of Canaan. But verse 12 states, look what it says here in Genesis 13, 12. This is important. Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Let's leave our friend Lot there in Sodom for a moment. And let's move on ahead to the chapter that we want to focus on today, chapter 18, where this ancient prayer that Abraham prays that we need to look at today. Look over in chapter 18. Such a rich prayer we're going to look at. And, and know that between chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, as we get to 18, know that Abraham's story, if you were to go back and read that, Abraham's story, it's just grown exponentially throughout those chapters, following that moment in, verse, in chapter 13, where Lot and Abraham went in two different directions, with their herds and with their lives. Okay, so now Abraham has in his scope the city of Sodom, okay, where his nephew Lot has moved to. And the context for this now ancient yet great prayer of Abraham, know this, it's a juxtaposition of two incompatible features. So on the one hand, we have Sodom. Okay, Sodom, that's where Lot resides. It's a place that's described like this in Genesis 13, verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Some pretty powerful descriptive words about that city and the people who lived there. Okay, and now we're in chapter 18. And it says this about Sodom in verse 20. Look at Genesis 18, verse 20 and 21. Then the Lord says, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, God says, 
I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, we, we don't know because Scripture doesn't explicitly state. We don't know what is the cause of this outcry. What exactly these outcries are that are mentioned two different times here in these two verses. However, normally when we see this word outcry, when we see outcry referenced in Scripture... It's usually evoked because of some kind of miscarriage of justice. Something has gone awry. Something God has said to do, people have done the opposite. They've gone in the other direction. There's a miscarriage of justice. And this status of Sodom is matched against Abraham's status. As a friend of God, someone who's close to God, someone who has a beautiful relationship with God, one that is modeled in Scripture that we want to be like. In fact, the narrative suggests that Abraham and God actually share confidences with one another, almost like they're best friends. So think of God and Abraham and their relationship as a, as a friend to friend, a best friend kind of relationship. In fact, Abraham here in, in, in chapter 18, verse 19, is identified as the one who's going to do righteousness and justice according to God. Look what God says of Abraham, his friend, in verse 19, Genesis 18, 19. God says, for I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what? Righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. So we have the, the righteousness, we have the justice on the part of Abraham on one side. And we have this outcry against the great sin in Sodom on the other side. And the people of Sodom, they've done something that's been an injustice against God. And maybe against the other people in Sodom. So something has to give between where Abraham is at and where Sodom and the people of Sodom are at. And this is what causes Abraham to pray. And in his prayer, Abraham, watch this, Abraham's going to do the very thing that Peter encourages followers of Jesus to do. Followers of the one true God. Those who are praying to God that we read just a few moments ago. We're going to see Abraham do what Peter says. And Abraham's going to humble himself before the Lord. He's going to cast all of his cares, all of his anxieties on God. Because Abraham knows something. Abraham knows God cares for me. God loves me. God and I, we're in a, a friendship. We're in a covenant relationship together. He cares about the things that are on my heart. And he's going to care about this city where Lot has been residing by his own choice. And although, although Abraham humbles himself in prayer, 
Man, please know, this prayer we're going to read, it's not Abraham coming in some kind of a meek, in some kind of a weak, in some kind of a cowardly way. No way. He's coming before the Lord humbly, but he's going to be bold. He's going to be insistent in his prayer. He's going to be demanding in his prayer. Why is that? Because Abraham knew what Peter knows. And it's this, that God cares for him. He knew God cares for him. That God loved him. That God wanted him to be in a relationship with him. And thus, Abraham, just like those of us who are in a relationship with God, we can cast our care upon the Lord, whatever and however many they may be, and we can do it boldly. We can do it without reservation because we know God cares for us. Let's get into the prayer. Abraham's prayer, it's recorded here in Genesis 18, verses 22 through 33. Let's look at verse 22 for a moment. Look at his posture here as he begins to pray. Verse 22 says this, So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So when you pray, maybe you kneel or sit or maybe you lay down. Here, notice that Abraham is standing. He's standing still before the Lord. It's an important posture. Abraham is there with this, this posture of a petitioner, uh, with, with a request. He, he's, he's humbly standing before God. The, the, the one who's awesome, the one who is powerful, all-knowing, almighty God. In no way seeing Abraham as having any kind of bargaining power as God watches Abraham stand before him. And yet, remember, there's this friendship between God and Abraham. And, and, and Abraham, he stands before holy God with, with empty hands, but a full relationship with his God. And this relational connection, men and women, is a really important connection for us to make this morning. As Dr. Brueggemann notes, Abraham is almost like God's best friend, the way he's standing before God. And he stands before God humbly, but in a sense, with entitlement. Almost a daring posture in our prayer. But it's one that's grounded in the interactive, covenantal relationship that Abraham has established with God. And God has established with Abraham all the way back to chapter 12, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all those chapters. He's been growing in his relationship with God. And yes, there is humility, but also there's this covenant relationship that Abraham, as he's standing before God, he's banking on that relationship. He's leaning into that relationship. And he is about to cast his cares on God because Abraham knows this right here. God cares for me. Would you say that phrase with me because it's true. God cares 
for me. God cares for me. And God cared for Abraham and he knew it. And if we're going to pray like Abraham, an ancient prayer for a new year, we must never forget God cares for me. God cares for you. God cared for Abraham. Now, the prayer itself in the following verses, it can be divided into about two different sections. Verses 23 through 25, those are the initial, we'll just call it confrontation of the prayer that Abraham has before God. And then when we get to verses 26 through 32, there's this series of what we'll call negotiations, okay? A back and forth between Abraham and God. So let's pick the prayer back up in verses 23 through through 25, Abraham, this is where he's going to start casting his cares on God about the people in the city of Sodom, who may be there just like his nephew Lot is there, and yet maybe some of the people that are in Sodom aren't wicked. Maybe there's a remnant there, a few that are there that aren't grouped in or shouldn't be grouped in with the wicked. And so what we're going to see here is Abraham praying for the city of Sodom. And he starts off like this in verse 23. Then Abraham drew near. There's that word we looked at this past week about drawing near to God. If we want to pray ancient prayers in this new year, we've got to be people who aren't afraid to draw near to God. That's what, that, that's what we read in Hebrews 4. Draw near to God where we can find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Why can we do that? Because he cares for us. He cares for us. So we see Abraham doing that here in verse 23. Then Abraham drew near and he said to God, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Look at verse 24. Suppose there are 50 righteous, 50 righteous people within the city of Sodom. God, will you then just sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you, God, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Man, I love it. Abraham's just going for it. He is praying his guts out right to God. I, I, I love seeing that kind of relationship being modeled in prayer between Abraham and God. Abraham is casting his cares on God. And if Abraham can do that, and God didn't kill him, but he welcomed it, maybe I can do the same. Maybe you can do the same. Maybe we should do the same. God, in this prayer that's in a relationship, he's being pressed by Abraham in his prayer and he's being pressed to curb his divine power enough to draw distinctions within the city of Sodom from who's wicked and who may be righteous 
And Abraham, Abraham is just afraid that, that God's going to only see a totality of wickedness when he looks on the city and the people of Sodom and therefore just wipe out the whole city in one swift stroke. And Abraham has a burden, has cares, is anxious about that city. Why? Because that's where his nephew Lot is living. And, and, and he's praying that God would take a step back and then take a leap of generosity toward this wicked city. In fact, when Abraham prays, far be it from you to do such a thing. Did you see that there in verse 25? Far be it from you to do such a thing. A more accurate translation or a more, more connecting meaning, uh, if we were to look at it in, in today's terms, is God, it would be defiling to you if you did that. Uh, another way to say it would be, it would make you polluted and it would violate your holiness if God, you just enacted wholesale judgment on the city and you didn't even take into account the innocent ones who were there. What's Abraham doing here? He's casting all of his cares on God because he knows something. He knows God cares for me. God cares for me. And God cares for the people in the city of Sodom. And so Abraham, he's praying. And, and, and he's saying that such an action, just wiping everything out, would contradict, it would trivialize, and it would violate who you are, God, and who the nation of Israel knows you to be. No way would you forfeit your reputation and your character and your holiness. Right, God? I mean, you're the, what does it say there in verse 25? You're the judge of the whole earth. Abraham doesn't question God's capacity for governance or authority to rule. God is going to judge Sodom and carry out a just sentence on the sin and on the wickedness of that place. And yet, yet Abraham is begging God, God, please think about what you're, going to do here don't go too far in your judgment God and now we're going to get to the part of the prayer where the negotiations start in verses 26 to 32 here we're going to begin to hear God speak in response to what Abraham is praying and what's crazy here is that God's going to actually agree to pursue Abraham's line of argument in his prayer. Let's keep reading in verse 26. He says, And the Lord said, Okay, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous, 50 righteous people in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. God agrees with Abraham. If there's 50 righteous people in the city, we'll save the city. Now, so far, at first glance... Abraham's prayer has proven to be pretty powerful, pretty effective. God agrees with Abraham and his point of view, it seems. But then it's as if Abraham kind of begins to think twice about his own argument, his own negotiation. Maybe I came in too high here. Now he's not sure about that number 50. 
Now, now Abraham is going to begin to bargain with God. It's like if you've ever gone to an, to an auction before or, or a market and you, you try to get the best deal that you can. You kind of have to haggle a little bit uh, as part of this give and take to try to get the price to come down without totally offending the one who's selling whatever it is you're trying to purchase or walk away with. And, and this, this bargaining, as Dr. Brueggemann notes, is really prevalent in Near Eastern cultures and in what's known as a bazaar in which contesting the price, that's kind of all part of the game. That, that's just part of how you get to the end price. So in one respect, there's a little bit of what Brueggemann says is playfulness here in this prayer between Abraham and God. He's praying, he's, he's kind of back and forth, this negotiation happens, a little bit of bargaining with God to come down off of that 50 number to see if he can, quote unquote, get a little bit better deal for the city of Sodom in his prayer with God. Look how Abraham continues in verse 27. Abraham answered and said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. That's humility language that we talked about earlier. He's, he's humbling himself before God. Look what he says here in verse 28. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? God says, I won't destroy it if I find 45 there. See, once God has conceded Abraham's argument, the, the two parties, God and Abraham, they, they seem to kind of be at ease with one another. It's a, it's a classic Jewish cultural transaction of, of seeking the best deal. Abraham starts the bidding and he starts lowering it from 50 to 45 because now he's got a hunch. I don't know if I can find that many people that are innocent in Sodom, come to think of it. And, and so there's this playful humility in the prayer with the dust and ashes comment. In verse 27, in this, this playful bargaining as the prayer continues, why is he playful in that? Because he's got a solid relationship with God. They enjoy one another. Abraham and God. And, and they keep going. And, and, and he keeps casting his cares upon God because he knows God what? God cares for him. Look, look with me in verse 29 and following at this back and forth in the prayer. Verse 29, again he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, well for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He's just going a little bit lower. The negotiations continue. God answered, I won't, I won't do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again. But this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And God answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. In verse 33, it says, and the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, our friend Abraham... <laughs> He moves from 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, and he stops at 10. 
We're not told or 100% sure why he stopped at 10. Some scholars point to the fact that the number 10 constitute what is known as a Jewish minion, the required number of Jewish men for a legitimate transaction with God. If you wanted to start up and plant a, a Jewish synagogue, you would have to have at least 10 Jewish men to do so. Regardless, at 10 innocent people living in Sodom, if they could be found, Abraham thought that's where we need to stop. And God agrees to terms in that prayer. God's moved to a place where it appears any judgment is going to be marked with mercy rather than just wiping out the entire city of Sodom. If 10 quote-unquote innocent people can be identified, which if you continue reading in chapter 19, 10 weren't able to be found. Sodom was overrun with sin and with wickedness, and yet while this prayer between Abraham and God ends here at the end of chapter 18, it wouldn't be the last exchange that Israel would have with God concerning justice and wrath and mercy and forgiveness. And as Dr. Brueggemann goes on to say, the exchange between Abraham and God shows that Abraham is really a daring man of faith, a daring person of faith. And and more importantly, it presents God as this ready and this available prayer partner in this free play of, of prayer and connecting relationally with God through prayer. And how even the destiny of the world hangs in the balance. And it's, it's under these intense, prayerful negotiations. And in other words, Abraham is a, a man of faith who's casting all of his cares upon the Lord. Why? Because of the relationship that Abraham and God have with one another. And because Abraham knows God cares for me. And God cares for all people. And, 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 and while chapter 19, if you were to read through it, it's going to show you that God brings harsh judgment on Sodom. Because he couldn't find ten innocent people there. And he brings judgment of a destruction with sulfur and fire. There's something that's mentioned that I want to show you that, that may tie back to that time of prayer between Abraham and God. And this is where we need to clue into. Do you remember Abraham's nephew's name that lived in Sodom? His name was Lot. And in Genesis 19, Lot and his family are actually warned. And they are advised to leave Sodom before the judgment arrives to avoid the coming disaster that verses 15 through 23 unfold. And the story ends with a really interesting reference to Abraham in verse 29. Look at Genesis 19 verse 29. It says, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley... God remembered Abraham. 
and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Highlight that phrase right there. Underline that in your Bible. God remembered Abraham. God remembered Abraham. What became clearer to me as I thought about God remembering Abraham and this prayer that he prayed is this. God cannot remember a prayer you never prayed. Would you say that with me? God cannot remember a prayer you never prayed. He remembered Abraham. He remembered that prayer. Who knows what God may decide to do when you pray? Who knows what God may choose to remember that goes back to those prayers when we model our current prayers and our prayers into this new year from the ancient prayers that we see Abraham praying as he stands before God and cries out to God. When we voice what's on our heart, when we cast our cares upon God, knowing that He cares for us, our God cares for us, God cares for you. And because He cares for you, God wants to hear from you. So then we should leave today going, what do you want God to do? I'm asking you that question. What do you want God to do for you? Or for those you care about. For the cares on your heart, what do you want God to do? What do you want God to answer you about? What prayer do you want God to remember? Is it a prayer for someone who's sick? That's close to you? Is it a, is it a prayer for a job situation that needs a total overhaul? Is there a marriage crumbling that you care deeply about? Are kids needing God to deeply intervene? Is there, is there something in your life needing immediate and divine attention and intervention? Please hear me. God cannot remember a prayer that you never prayed. So pray. Pray. Ask God to do something. To intervene. To bring clarity. To bring healing. To bring hope. Ask God to remember you. Don't hold back. Abraham didn't. Because Abraham knew something. He knew, my God cares for me. And you know what? Our God cares for you too. So ask, cast, pray. In this ancient prayer in Genesis 18, we see Abraham and God as prayer partners. Where ultimately, God's going to do what's right and what's just. And yet we see this caring relationship modeled, which is so very critical in this ancient prayer that is desired by God 
in this new year with all of us. So let me ask you to consider four ways to move into this week in prayer. They'll come up on the screen. Just look at them one by one with me. Will you pray big, bold prayers this week? Second thing, will you stand before God in the presence of God as you pray this week, just like Abraham did? Third thing, will you pray for the rescue and salvation of our city this week? And fourth and finally, will you cast all your cares on God knowing that God cares for you? I invite you to take your phone out, just take a picture of those four questions, four ways to help you pray in an ancient way within this new year. And if you will begin to just work through those four ways to pray, if we pray like Abraham, I believe God will remember us in ways that we see God remembering Abraham and that that remembering, I believe, is tied back to our relationship with God. Will you just give God a chance to remember something that you prayed about to Him, with Him, this week? Would you cast all your cares on Him? Because our God cares for you. And you know what I believe? I believe when we do that, God will remember you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week.